You are listening to the Tour des Flâneurs, the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Stage 16. Today we're in Saint-Gaudens. here from the barman. <laughs> I'm happy you're not working my bar. Yeah, well, it's all right beer, so it's, but it's not supposed to be... <laughs> me, 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 you know? Oh, some appetizers as and well. Tapas Fantastic. as well. Merci beaucoup. Merci beaucoup. Well, Mitch, what's the beer that we've just been served up here in this delightful little restaurant in which we find ourselves? Well, the beer of the day has come into our hands beautifully. We've arrived at this little town. What is the pronunciation of the town? Salis de Salah. Exactly. <laughs> and we have well got done, this Francois. amazing beer called the Maori beer, and in French it's pronounced the Mahao. This is great. This apparently there's this little brewery in this town, and it's a it's a Kiwi couple, from what I understand, that brew live here for six months of the year and live six months back in New Zealand, and they brew beer when they're here, and it looks like an amazing beer. I've got the IPA, six percent. Uh, I'm going to have a quick sip now. I've got the blonde pilsner with a, 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 an illustration of a, yet, a kind of yeti-type figure in the front with a, a big blonde um, mm, head yeah. of hair. So, same yeti guy here. Well, the yeti guy with the blue hat. And it's five. Uh, is it, mine is the white one, 5%. It's very nice, very bitter. I like it very much. Fantastic. This has been a real treat today because... We stopped along the route today and found another local beer, but this is even more local because this is the town we're staying in tonight, so this is perfect. Mitch, what an influence you've had on the podcast already in just 24 hours. I've um, been exposed to more beer uh, than <laughs> in the previous two weeks. <laughs> well, Fantastic. Yes. I know, it's an education. It, but, it, you know, you see, I mean, you, we were speeding through, not speeding through, we were driving sensibly through this little village and you spotted an incred- incredible brewery. And you just so happened to have bought a beer from that brewery in our earlier stop. I wish we had time to go to that brewery today. I smelt it. I was just could feel there was something good around the corner. I looked left, and there it was, waiting for us. <laughs> well, um, listen, uh, we left. We've left Andorra. We're back in France. Um, strange day for us today because Mitch would just wait back in Andorra for your second vaccination. A strange mm-hmm. day, but we went to the start this morning and. Uh, you experienced the mix zone for the first time. Your first time as a credential journalist, you had your lanyard on, your credentials, you were in the mix zone. What sort of reaction did you get from your fellow professional riders? Look, initially it was a pretty uneventful. And I was starting to think, geez, life as a journalist, I don't know about this. Because you're right up the end of the mix zone. No one really wants to come up to you. But then once the ball... Once they ro- realised you were there, <laughs> it, all, it all changed. <laughs> Well, I think it sort of did. The novelty obviously would wear off because I think it's quite a funny thing to think see a guy you raced with last week or last month suddenly on the other side of the fence trying to interview you. And it was funny for me being there. I wanted to just chat to the guys and not just interview them. And maybe my interviews will come across a little bit more chatty than interviewee. Um, it was really fun. I love seeing the guys today and catching up with them and I sort of felt part of the race uh, more than I have the last few weeks watching it on TV. You, you almost caused Pierre Roland to crash because as he was uh, kind of riding past quite quickly on his way to the start, he, he glanced to his left and, and obviously clocked you and then did a double take and 
in the process almost veered off into the fences. <laughs> so I'm sure he'll come and find you tomorrow. He's a former teammate, of course. Mm-hmm. But we'll hear some of your, your interview come chats later on. The, the one with Michael Morkov I found fascinating. You said last night you wanted to speak to him. And what he said about the Gruppetto and the way that's organized or not organized in this race was really interesting. So mm. we'll he- we'll hear from him. I think you spoke to Andrew Greipel, Magnus Court, some others as well. So we'll hear a few of them a bit later on. But what happened in the stage today? It was a strange start, wasn't it? Because we were at 2,000 meters. Mm. It was freezing cold up there. Um, riders were decked out in full kind of winter gear, um, apart from some of the members of the H2R team who seemed to only have their summer perforated shorts on we were worried about them at the start um, uh, but they seemed to come through the stage okay uh, and it was a 19 kilometer neutralized section to begin with downhill that's pretty much it no there was there, there, were, there were lots of attempts actually and then well kind of lame attempts uh, nobody seemed to be you know uh, able to kind of uh, break away and and then then a breaking group took you know took shape um, I mean, if you want me to check the to check the exact the exact moments when it, it happened, well, it took a while again, didn't it? And and we saw a, another theme of this race has been, you know, big hitters getting in these moves, strong riders. You know, Mikhail Kwiatkowski was quite aggressive early on. Mattia Catania as well was away for a bit, and he's quite highly placed overall. Um, we saw Casper Askreen having a go as mm. well for a while. And a, a pretty strong break did eventually form, um, but it took a good couple of hours into the stage before it started to come together. I did, I did find something quite interesting about that first climb. Is I saw quite a lot of riders I didn't expect struggling on that first climb. Strong riders, and I think that had a lot to do where where this race is at, but also that start, that twenty kilometre downhill in the cold then snapping straight into a climb pretty soon after. I think a lot of legs, a lot of guys' legs were feeling the pinch, one after a rest day, but two after a pretty different start to a normal stage. Well, some of the riders up the road, uh, Tom Squinge, he's had a go quite a lot in this race. Jan Bakelance, Chris Yule Jensen, uh, Michael Matthews was up there. As he told you this morning, Mitch, he would be. You asked him, would he be in the break? And he said, yes. He was up there trying to get points. Sonny Colbrelli was there as well. Sonny Colbrelli. A couple of riders who, when Mitch and I were having lunch and I was trying to pick the potential winners for today, I suggested uh, Patrick Conrad um, and Frank Bonamore. Uh, both suggestions poo-pooed by Mitch, so they didn't make it onto our predictions <laughs> list in the end. I was adamant Sween Dog was going to be in there, so yeah. Yeah, well you spoke to him, Harry Sweeney, at, at the start, and uh, he didn't go for a ride on the rest day at all, did he? I think he probably paid the price of that today, and I indicated to him that he would be feeling Indicated that. to him. You told him he'd be stuffed and he could for just forget about it. <laughs> we don't get away with that sort of uh, interrogation. Um, but, yeah, he uh, he wasn't in the break. Um, but, you know, Conrad has been having a go a lot, and uh, he got his reward today. He went off um, pretty early in the stage. What? What, where, where did he actually attack? 35k's on, 35 the, K's. Yeah, on the Porte d'Aspe. On the Porte d'Aspe. So he crossed the, the top of the Porte d'Aspe, a very famous climb, of course. And Fabio Casartelli. And a, and a, yeah, tragic climb. It's where Fabio Casartelli crashed and Philippe, lost his Philippe life. Gilbert also crashed. In he the, did crash a few years ago, didn't he? Yeah. In a descent, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, Conrad went from a long way out, um, the Bora Hansgrohe rider, and took a very well-deserved win. I mean, I was going to say not an awful lot else happened, but something did happen at the end. There was a very strange flourish at the Before end. Before that, if you if you you know if you allow me to remind you, there are a few French riders in that 
uh, Tour de France. David Godu was part of this. Uh, oh, yeah, of this sorry, break. you attacked quite a few times. Well, I mean, we've been waiting for him to have a go, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, of course, as usual. <laughs> no, you attacked quite a few times uh, on 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 the Porte d'Aspé, and and later in, in the in the last uh, second category uh, climb before the finish. And uh, well, he didn't manage to well catch Conrad, who had gone, uh, but he kind of shook up a little bit the group, and well, he reached the the. the He reached the, the the finish line with a 14 minutes ahead of the uh, yellow jersey group. He was 14th at the start of the day. He's now 11th. So you know, uh, climbing up and amazing uh, that you can gain 14 minutes and only move from 14th <laughs> yeah, to 11th. That says yeah. it all, doesn't it? Wow. But yeah, I had to mention David Godu because he's, he's among the, the you know the, the, the French guys who win with you know for for a long time said you know he was promising winning Tour de l'Avenir. Given his climbing abilities and if he's been, he lost lots of time on the Ventoux, he had a he had a hyperthermia. Uh, he had a problem with the sun. I mean, he doesn't Did like have it. A, a stomach problem as well. Or? Yeah. Well, he was close actually by the sun, you know. Mm. And the thing is, now with two mountain stages, and he'll be in his element, and maybe uh, you know can stay with the, the yellow jersey group for for quite a bit. Uh, yeah, he can he can aim at a top 10 finish, I guess. Well, absolutely, and we can uh, include him in our stage predictions the next couple of days. Um, we also saw a strange skirmish from some of the, the, the GC riders. It was kicked off by Simon Geschke, um, who seemed to be, uh, well, he was leading Guillaume Martin up the outside of the bunch, injecting a bit of pace. Uh, Wout van Aert responded to that, brushed them aside like dandruff on his collar. I don't know if he thought he had some riders like Jonas Vingegaard, his teammate, on his wheel, but... He rode pretty hard, then turned around and saw nobody was there. A group came up to him and, and he carried on. And he really, the last five, six kilometers, Van Aert just kind of strung it out. And it was a 16-man move. Mm. Um, all, the, all the big names on the, of the GC were there, except Godu was in the front. But they were all there, not one missing. So it was a very curious move. And Van Aert was asked about it at the finish. He said he thought there might be an opportunity. Uh, and so why not give it a go? Mitch noted that Mirain Zeman, the, the coach at Jumbo Visma, or the sports director now, who you know from your time at Skill Shimano a few years ago, um, he'd said this morning that the end of today's stage could be interesting. There may be an opportunity. There was this ramp, uh, a, a, quite a hard climb, about eight kilometers from the mm. finish. And, and they were clearly using it to try to do something. But whatever they were trying to do, I don't think it came off. Yeah, it's funny because, you know, Van Arn in his interview after the race indicated it was a spur-of-the-moment decision and on-the-road sort of feel, you know, there's something here, there's a bit of crosswind, but then listening to Marang Zeman speak at the beginning of the stage and reading between the lines, it sounded like there was maybe a bit of a plan um, to, to mix things up, to have a go, and it looked like that was probably what happened, that they predicted there was going to be a bit more crosswind than there was and maybe they could have caught some guys off guard. But I just think the way Van Aert went about it, maybe he was just stronger than he realised or the guys weren't quite ready for it, that the element of surprise was completely buggered up by him getting off the front and a 50-metre gap and then having to wait for everyone. And by then, all the GC guys were clued into it and the element of surprise and that whole attack idea was, was over. Or is he training for the Tokyo Olympics, maybe? 
it certainly looked like that afterwards because he was injecting a lot of pace and everyone was sitting in for a pretty hard motor pace to the finish. Yeah, I, I was, it's funny because I was telling you in the morning when we left from Andorra that, you know, usually the big mountain finishes, they didn't make a big difference on, uh, on the tour. And then maybe someone, and I said maybe Pog, you know, would attack on that last second category climb. And, well, he didn't do it, but, but Van Aert did it. So, and, and Guillaume Martin and Simon Gashko tried something. So, obviously, there was kind of, well, maybe not nervousness, but, uh, you know, the... the the the, uh, the impression that maybe there's something to, could be done on that finale uh, ahead of the big pyramid stage, stages tomorrow and the day after. The Cycling Podcast at the 2021 Tour de France, powered by Super Sapiens. Energy management for committed athletes and coaches. Still guessing on fueling? Not sure what or when to eat and drink on rides that matter? Never again. Optimize your fueling strategy with real-time glucose data, actionable insight, and personalized analytics. We are here to help you achieve your performance goals. Go to supersapiens.com for more on how to track your energy levels and fuel for success. Thank you very much indeed to our title sponsor, Super Sapiens. Now, this morning in Andorra, we had a visit at our hotel from Phil Sutherland and Fitzalan Crow from Super Sapiens. I've spoken to them a lot. Well, we, we from the Cycling Podcast have spoken to them a lot over the, over the phone. And it was great to meet them finally in person. We met in the hotel and I had a quick chat with Phil, who's the founder of Super Sapiens and the chief executive, and also um, who is the man behind the Novo Nordisk team as well. Um, I had a quick chat with him about what he was doing here at the Tour de France. Yeah, so arrived uh, the evening before the rest day. Awesome to see Sepkus, you know, take the stage when coming into Andorra. Yeah, yesterday was just meeting with Bernie Eisel, meeting with some reporters to talk about Super Sapiens. Come see Chris Froome, who's a big believer in the product. Got to meet Sylvan Adams, Jumbo, Visma team, and just talk about our relationship there, how we can support them even better. Been talking to all these people on Zoom for the past year and a half, and so it's great to be back at the races, get some bike rides in, see people, and just help the, the sporting side of cycling you know, know there's a face behind uh, the brand that we have. You know, we're developing relationships. Sylvan Adams put a sensor on yesterday, and he's like, I don't get it, because the human body, you know, it's normal. It controls glucose. I said, no. Once I explained to Sylvan that on the bike, during exercise, everyone's diabetic with spikes and crashes, and then you just saw this ah, light bulb moment of, wow, this thing's powerful. We need to use it more. It's great to have randomness uh, at the office back home. It's, it's Zoom calls, and you know, the day is booked, and you come here and just you meet a random person and see a random person. And we've been talking a while. Now we get to see you and meet in person. So I'm gonna say the highlight for me, Richard, is cycling podcast is now in person, uh, <laughs> and you guys are rocking it for us. And love, love just seeing all the the meals and the this that and the other you're doing throughout the tour. So to be in person and have a chat face to face is. That's also a highlight of my trip. Well, that was Phil Sutherland in our hotel this morning. It was very nice to finally meet him in person. And we're very grateful to Super Sapiens for their support, their sponsorship of the Cycling Podcast. We're running a competition in conjunction with Super Sapiens. You can win three months' worth of the sensors that you wear on your arm to track your blood glucose levels. If you'd like to enter the competition, go to thecyclingpodcast.com and you'll see how to submit our clip of audio uh, telling us how and why you would use Super Sapiens. Now, Mitch, Mitch's mixed zone debut. Um, it was it was fascinating. We had this with Kate as well, because Kate was, was doing her first Tour de France and learning the rules of the tour, the, 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 the places that you go, the, 
the signs that you have to follow, um, what happens once you're in that Tour de France bubble. Um, but for you, an even more strange experience, I guess, because you're so used to being on the other side of the fence. It wasn't a typical start today. You know, we're normally in a nice little village or time. We were at, at kind of quite a desolate ski resort high up in the in the mountains and there wasn't a huge crowd but it was quite strange the atmosphere was a little bit muted hopefully you'll experience something else the rest of the week but um well you did a few interviews for us didn't you yeah first up was andre greipel and just getting his attention because we're quite far down in the line you know you've got all the tv crews first up and then just getting the attention of the riders and letting them know where you are and getting them down there because I know that as a rider myself if you get called into that zone or you come down there especially today it was about eight degrees and cold and even a little bit of rain every so often so if you're a rider you're like get me out of here get this interview done I'm out you're not just coasting around there maybe hoping to get another interview so getting the riders down to us was was half the game that was however some- I do know now how to get Andre Greipel Hey, no. gripes, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Just yelled out. I was like, gripes, get down here. And he heard me and he came down and it was a good chat. Um, it's Like I said, it's, it's great to see these guys because you have that rapport with them and they are friends, friends in the bunch. And we always get that chance to catch up in the bunch. So there was that element of catching up and then suddenly it was like, okay, quick, we've got to do an actual interview here. And then you, you were catching up too. It was nice. It was nice to connect with the guys and see where they're at coming into this last week. You know, first I spoke to Andre and then we had a bit of a break. And then luckily for us, the way the guys had to get to the start was past us. And all of a sudden we were hit with a flurry of riders. And like you said, a few guys recognising that, hang on, Mitch is on the other side of the fence today. And suddenly we were flooded with, uh, you know, 10, 15 guys at once. There'll be a queue tomorrow. Well, let's hear from Andre Greipel, shall we? And then let's hear from Michael Morkov because I was fascinated uh, to hear what he said to you. He's a guy we speak to a lot, usually about the, the lead-outs, but this connects with the conversation we had last night about the Gruppetto and how it's organised this year and, and how the current Quickstep are helping Mark Cavendish to get through these stages. And I, I find what he said really fascinating. So let's hear first Andre Greipel and then Michael Morkov. Here he is. Hey, mate, how are you? Good to see you, mate. Give us a punch. Something with Andre Greipel, mate, last week of the tour. Uh, it's nice, but not not nice uh, Which uh, when you see the stages which I had. Mate, look at today. Downhill start, freezing cold. What are you going to do at the start? Are you going to wear a full jacket and everything? The plan is, of course, uh, to, to, to get warm, uh, not getting cold down there. And uh, yeah, hopefully we have time enough to make the onion technique and uh, dress a little bit. Uh, and uh, yeah, then we still have a, have the first couple of kilometers downhill. So uh, yeah, it's, it's not the nicest start, especially in these conditions from weather-wise. But uh, we have to deal with a lot of other things as well. So let's see. Couple climbs to warm you up, but I'm sure you'll get warm there. Now tell me, I want to ask you about the sprint finishes because the, the Quickstep train has been on fire and that's something that you were used to with the big trains that you had in Lotto and HCC. What has it been like surfing on the back of the trains as a sprinter? It's not easy. If there's just one, time, one team who is able to line it up, it's quite normal that everybody's fighting for the wheel of calf. I would like to see that uh, one time, uh, one team is able to get over that team and uh, yeah, make it a hard life and... Uh, when you see uh, how easy, I mean, cycling is not easy, but how 
how well they prepare with the sprint is uh, of course something nice to see. Uh, I wish I could have the same opportunity like that, but uh, yeah, still a couple of days uh, where we can uh, fight for the victory and uh, see how how uh, we can uh, hopefully uh, pass him. Yeah. How you been feeling on the mountains? You reckon you're going to get through okay now, or because you're normally a pretty good climber? Uh, let's say I'm not a climber, but I get up. Uh, as, as you can see, there are already so many sprinters out. So that means already that it uh, was a tough race so far. I mean, it's not easy. On the other side, uh, you have to go deep. And uh, uh, I prepared myself well for the, for the Tour de France. I did Tour de Suisse. For sure that helped to, to get over that, these climbs. Of course, you're probably doing... How many reps did you do up the backside into Nidegg in there to prepare yourself for the mountains? I did uh, <laughs> with coffee breaks and cake breaks, of course. But a couple of times I had to do that uh, to get in form. Awesome, mate. Well, we've got a few more mountain days, a couple more sprint days, and I hope to see you right up there on the Champs-Élysées. I know, this is my country. Yeah. Welcome. What do you think? Put the weather on for you? I really don't like to be in Andorra. Every time I was here was horrible stages. Horrible with the weather and the climbs and everything. Hey, mate, I reckon you're doing an amazing job getting Cav through this race. And I said the other day on the podcast that if I was in this race, I'd be looking for you guys because that is the ticket. You guys do it really well. You keep it together and you get him through the race. I had a look at the stages coming. It looks like it's going to be pretty okay now to get through to the end in terms of making time cut. Obviously, then the sprints. Has it been really good Good with the team keeping it together for the groupetto or making it through? I think we did an amazing job so far. We always stay three, four guys together with Calf. We are really well calculated. Uh, we put the speed that we know we can sustain and, and stay within the time limit. But to be honest, I'm very surprised about all the colleagues here because everyone seems so unexperienced. Like, I mean, if I'm in a race and I see the green jersey with teammates, I will stick around him. But nobody does. Most of the guys is, is attacking us early. So we are just a small bunch. It's not like uh, in the past where everybody... Yeah, made a nice big croppetto. Uh, everybody seems very nervous about time limit nowadays. It's, it's ridiculous for me because it's like clearly you guys are calculating and doing it well. Just go back to quick step if that's where they are, if that's where you guys are. So you're really looking forward to the last two stages and getting that train rolling again? Yeah, absolutely love it. I love to get involved in this bunch sprints. Obviously, when it's going well, when Kev is winning, it's, it's even more fun. Yeah, we have chance stage 19 and then obviously in Paris. What I'm a bit excited about this year is that I see that they moved the finish line a bit in Paris. They moved it further up the, the boulevard, so it's going to be a slight different sprint. I think it's going to be a more beautiful bunch sprint than in the past then. Science in Sport is supporting the cycling podcast at the 2021 Tour de France. Science in Sport, fueled by science. Thank you very much indeed to Science and Sport for their support of the cycling podcast. If you would like 25% off all your Science and Sport products, Go to scienceandsport.com and enter the code SISCP25 at the checkout. And if you'd like to enter our competition with Science and Sport to try and win £80 worth of Science and Sport goodies, uh, all you have to do is predict the winner of Sunday's stage into Paris. Uh, who will it be? Will it be Mark Cavendish? Or will it be somebody else? Will it be Wout van Aert in the polka dot jersey? Who are you suggesting, Mitch? Andre Greipel. Gripes, mate. I reckon Gripes is going to be up. He's sniffing it. He's going <laughs> He's to be there. It. Okay, well, there you go. There's an uh, insider tip. Um, go to the cyclingpodcast.com if you'd like to enter the competition. I want to just uh, 
say a, a message to one of our dedicated listeners, friends of my brother's, Robin, who lives in uh, Washington, D.C. He got in touch with me and said that his two friends would love a shout-out, and I'm more than happy to give them one. Thomas Zimmerman and Nico von der Goltz. It's great to hear that you're both listening. Very grateful to you for your support. And, uh, well, if you're friends of my brother's, you're definitely friends of ours. So enjoy. I hope you're enjoying Mitch's contribution. Mitch, I was really interested in something you said to me today when I was trying to predict, uh, unsuccessfully predict the winner of today's stage, when we were discussing you know, who might be in the break. You did say that it's you, you, you spot the guys that are getting into breaks. Because I, I mentioned Jakob Fulsang, a guy you know who on paper would have been perfectly suited to today's stage. Um, but he's not been, for whatever reason, he's not been showing himself, he's not been getting, getting into breaks. And for all his class and talent, it doesn't just sort of magic mm. up from nowhere. Um, and there is always a pattern in these races. You see guy, the same guys. Patrick Conrad has been trying and trying and trying and consistently getting in breaks. Another guy perhaps less heralded, Frank Bonamore. One of the revelations of this tour, really. He's been featuring a lot of these moves. Yeah, we've seen the Borai guys, as you said, you know, a little bit like Sunweb last, last year. I mean, all of, losing their leader, Sagan is not, you know, technically their leader, but, you know, kind of frees them of all kind of, uh, you know, duties, and that, then they can go for it. And Frank Bonamore is, is yeah, is, is really, really a surprise. I mean, is, is, is at four top 10 finishes in stages and hard stages in the beginning of the tour is there you know all the time in those breaks and you know sometimes in the mountains as well he's been near the top he's riding very well he's, he's got an interesting story this uh, uh, Frank Bonamore he was not I mean I didn't know him at all before the, the, the start of the tour I, I knew his, his father better because I've seen his father ride as well uh, he, he, used, he used to ride for well, Cyril Guimard, you know, in, in teams with Fignon, Yves Bonamour. And his mother is also, uh, was also uh, a pro rider. And, and as his mother uh, worked for Arkia Samsic, he, sp he spent a couple of years with Arkia Samsic and n not making a real impression uh, when he was there. Uh, he was a little bit too fat and, uh, you know, not, not maybe train as hard as he could. And, and, and he actually kind of cut off the family ties uh, this season by moving to BNB hotels like it, it was like you know his uh, unilateral declaration of independence he, he left the, 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 the family cocoon to you know to become a man and and since he apparently since he moved to BNB hotels um, well you know he's not cuddled anymore by, by the by a family environment he lost weight uh, he's more into it and apparently uh, I mean he's always been a very gifted apparently with a strong engine guy but he was not delivering because he, you know he really needed to get out of that uh, influence uh, at home and well obviously it pays off because uh, you know he's there and a uh, very promising young rider the butterfly the papillon has fluttered free that's of right. the cocoon mm. No, he's he's been uh, he's been great. I, I spotted lots of signs for him in support of him in Brittany, actually, and uh, re really sorry you couldn't help but notice him uh, in the tour ever since. Let's hear, shall we, uh, a couple of other interviews you did this morning, Mitch. You spoke to your teammate Magnus Court, um, and you spoke to who else did you speak to? Remind me. Swain Dog, Harry Swain, Harry Swain Dog Swainy. Yeah, well, let's hear. Well, we hear first from uh, Magnus Court, your teammate, who was one of our tips for today. Um, he might well have been a rider who would fancy this stage. Um, we should say as well that Rigo Bartuan stopped and said hello to you, and we're going to get Rigo on the podcast this week. We've been promising to you, Rigo. When I say we, I mean you. 
So let's hear first from Magnus Court and then from Harry Sweeney, who went close the other day, of course. Magnus Court, Nielsen, mate, teammate, how are you? How's it been going so far, last week of the tour? I think it's been going uh, all right for us. We have Rico Berto in, in second place, and uh, if we finish today, I think it would be a really good tour for us, but uh, the GC is never home before you've crossed the last finish line, and uh, so far we haven't had any stage wins, which we have been dreaming of. It's not over yet, so uh, we hope to get one of those and then uh, a great uh, general GC for, for Rico Berto also. Tell me about the vibe in the team, because... The feeling I get is that Lockie doing his adventure, the alternate tour, it's been a really big focus of the team. Not to say there hasn't been a focus on the Tour de France, but has that actually eased the pressure of the team and you guys have just been able to race because there's been a lot of people watching what Lockie's doing and you guys have just been free to race the Tour de France a little bit more? Yeah, I don't know. I think uh, when you're in the Tour, there's still a lot of attention on you. So uh, for me, I don't really uh, feel a difference, I think. But... uh, probably correct if you look at the EF uh, social media site there's a lot about uh, Lockland and uh, maybe less about the tour I don't know uh, <laughs> I think I focus more on, on the tour than, than reading uh, reading the, the reports on, on Twitter and how about you for the breakaway because I was watching the stage the other day and you just kept going back to back to back and they wouldn't let you go I couldn't understand I'm like just let him go he's not going to stop what about today are you going to get in that breakaway today up that first climb yeah, I would really like to get in the breakaway, but uh, we see it wasn't easy the other day. I, I tried a million times, and uh, I'll do that again today, and uh, hopefully the, the lock is with me this time. Nice one, Maggie. Well, good luck today, and hopefully you stay warm on this descent. Yeah, thank you. Oh, you got heaps of time, Sweeney. This is Harry Sweendog Sweeney here. How are you, mate? First Tour de France riding like an absolute demon. Yeah, feeling good, mate. Uh, feeling better than I thought I would this deep into the tour, so it's, uh, it's exciting for me, but yeah, I'm also really happy to be here. Tell me about that breakaway, because that was not only just getting in the breakaway, you were like a driving force out there. Unbelievable day. Yeah, I felt like I had really good legs that day, and uh, I saw some weakness uh, in some of the guys on the climb, so I thought I'd have a dig, and uh, yeah, I, I tried everything I could to get away from them, and I'm happy with how I rode. Mate, awesome. What are you thinking about today? Are you going to try and go on that breakaway? We'll see how the legs are. I did uh, nothing yesterday. I'm trying both tactics for the rest day. I did first day nothing. Uh, Wait, no. First day I did efforts and an easy ride, and yesterday I did nothing. So I'm going to see which I come off better. Mate, you're in trouble. You're in big trouble. I'd be surprised if you make time cut today. (laughs) Yeah, we'll see about that, mate. (laughs) Okay, see you, mate. Good luck out there. (laughs) Cheers, mate. Appreciate it. Well, I found that really interesting, and you're probably wondering why I was asking that about Lachlan Morton, and, you know, I'm sure everyone's aware of what Lockie's been up to, you know. He has been doing the alternate tour, and his idea was to race the peloton and maybe get there just in the same time, or maybe just behind, or maybe, you know, just in front. But he's already there. He's already arrived in Paris. He finished Paris last night, didn't he? Unbelievable. And the best part about that is I love that his dad flew out. And did the last leg with him. Um, it's really special. I've been speaking to Lockie along the way. Um, I was obviously doing Sweden last week. And the whole idea when we were training for those two events was to stay in touch when we were doing our events. The funny thing was, I messaged him when I was out doing a mountain bike ride before I went to Sweden. And said, hey Lock, how's it going mate? In the first week I'm out mountain biking. And he's like, oh, I wish I was there. I did Sweden. And then just before I came here, I went for a mountain bike ride and said, hey, Locke, how you going, mate? I'm still out mountain biking. You're still on that journey. You know, it's, it's been a long old haul, but he's already there. 
Well, a few writers this morning said, uh, Morkov, I think, said that he wished he'd uh, done the alternative tour because he'd, he'd be finished now. Um, do you want some stats from it? These are courtesy of VeloViewer, our friends at VeloViewer. Um, average distance, 327 kilometres per day for Lachlan Morton. Average climbing, 3,800 metres per day. That's insane. Average riding time, 12 hours 20 per day. Maximum distance, 565 kilometres on the final day. Maximum climbing, 5,900 metres on stage eight and half of stage nine. Maximum riding time, 20 hours 22 on the final day. Uh, there's going to be a, a film, isn't there, of his uh, adventure. Um, but it really has captured people's imagination. I mean, it's got an awful lot of coverage in social media. We've talked about whether he's had more attention than Rigoberto Uran, who's uh, on the podium. You, you were suggesting, Mitch, that it had sort of taken a bit of pressure off the team. Magnus Court didn't really seem to fully agree, agree with that. I think when you're riding the tour, it's it's all about the tour, isn't it? Mm. But it, it's 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 a uh, it's been a fascinating thing to follow from a distance, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing the film and yeah. seeing. And it, w- it was great to see to see him in in Paris, you know, in, in the night. You 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 have these special lights from the floodlights in Paris, you know, and there were fences there, like like they, 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 like fences that might have been laid there already for the Champs Elysees yeah. finish, you know, and 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 he opening the bottle of champagne, you know, and and, and there was a couple of guys there you know clapping it was all kind of low-key but in the same time very touching and uh, yeah I think that's great it was really really exciting a question we had in our press conference episode which we didn't get around to but somebody asked who would be the ultimate alternative tourist I mean Lachlan Morton is the obvious candidate but who else who else in the peloton riding this tour perhaps would be a candidate for doing the sort of adventure that he's done. I think like Tom Sagan, he rode back um, from his last race with his teammate. Um, Tim Wellens. Tim Wellens, that's right. He's an obvious one. Like, again, we know him. You never give him too much time in the peloton because he can just keep on riding. Apart from the physical side of things, I think everyone thinks it's physical, but it's a lot mental. And I think a lot of people are aware of that now with what Lockie's done. But even if you just do something a bit smaller, it's, it's a mental game. You don't have to go super fast, but you just have to be able to go long. So we just need to look for those hard nuts out there, the people who are happy just to keep pushing on. Because it's actually, it's a lot harder than you think. And that's what I find so impressive about Lockie is that, that mental strength. You know, the physical stuff is also amazingly impressive. But, hey, 22 hours on the last day. And the noise his bike was making, I was ex- amazed that he was able to cope with that because in some of the videos he recorded, it, he was insisting, wasn't he, on fixing his bike, maintaining his bike himself. He, there were there were spares that he could have had access to, but he sort of denied himself that luxury, if we can call it a luxury, of, exactly, a, of yeah. an inner tube. The, the, the whole idea is to do it, you know, unself-supported, but obviously they had stuff there just in case, you know. Look, if you get a puncher, we've got, you know, 10, 20 tubes following you. You know, not a lot of stuff, a spare chain or whatever it was. But as you've seen, he's, he carried a little pocket knife with him. He made all the alterations. He was repairing tubes with mattress patches because he ran, he didn't bring patches, you know. Stuffing so tires with grass. Just, just really goes, you know what, if I'm going to do this, let's do it properly. Um, wow. Once again, another step. I doff my cap. Francois, we haven't spoken a lot about the GC race. We've got two big GC days coming up, you know, which will really be crucial for the tour. But what have you got for us, Francois, in the way of French culture tonight? Singers, we're back in France. The word of the day, 
starts with a question. Do you know how you say duty free in French? Oh, um, I, I'm gonna. I, I want to say it, but I'm, I'm worried I'll get it wrong. Which duty is duty free. Duty <laughs> free. Duty free. Yeah, absolutely. So, and why why am I using this with this French word? Do you and know this uh, this whole thing with this this. This gimmick, François, was entirely for me to improve my French. You're, you're, Absolutely, you know how we say gimmick in French. Uh, gimmick. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's why. No, but I mean, I, I, I trust duty free as the word of the day because we started from pas de la casa or pas de la case, as we say in French. And well, uh, as Mitch would tell you better than, than than I, because you live nearby. I mean, what you know, once the border and custom been crossed, pas de la case is the, f it's the first time in in Andorra to welcome the tourists and and it's it's just a, it's just a shopping area it's just a duty free i mean all every weekend people from toulouse perpignan all all you know all well in this area of france they they, they kind of flock there you know to, to to the best offers so you you get jewelry multimedia fashion perfume all this and the, the shops in Padalacas are open 36 thir, thir, no, 306 <laughs> one days a year i thought you were going to say 36 hours a day <laughs> Yeah, I was about to. Yeah, but I mean, so they only close down like four days a year. And so if you want to go shopping in Padre Casa, you don't go on a September the 8th. You know why? Well, Mitch will know. September the 8th, it's actually Merichel. It's the national oh, day in Andorra. Right. You I don't go there that. on December the 25th, 25th. Why? Well, you know, all know why. It's Christmas. You don't go there on January the 1st. And you don't go there on March the 14th because it's also a bank holiday in Andorra. So, as we saw, and Andorra duty-free is, is kind of the kingdom of duty-free. You don't always, and also this is another thing, you don't stop there as a rider. Weirdly, you ride through there and it's 4K from the top of the climb, the hardest 4K you'll do on your whole ride because everything's from 2,000 to 2,400. You get a bonk, you try and stop. You can't buy one Coke. You got to buy twelve Cokes. You can't buy one Snickers. You got to buy twenty-four Snickers. You can't get a normal thing there. It's bulk. <laughs> right. We had the beer of the day, and 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 it's it's proving really, you know, absolutely excellent. And we might have another one. Um, I mean, we we had Robert Eden, an Englishman, doing great wine in Minervois. Now we've got uh, apparently New Zealanders, you know, doing great beer in, in, in the Pyrenees. I mean, well, that, that's, that's great. I mean, that come from all over the planet to enhance the, 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 the virtues of French uh, soil, you know, and uh, you'll be welcome. The cheese of the day, well, actually, we went through a place called Betmal, kilometer uh, 110 today. And Betmal is one of the rare couches from, the, from this Pyrenean region of Ariège. It, it obviously draws its name from the Betmal Valley, where it, it originated. And the legend has it that the cheese was developed during the Moorish occupation in the 14th century. Others even said that French King Louis VI the Fat... That was the name of the you know, his nickname, Louis, Louis the Fat. Uh, tasted it in Saint Giron. I mean, that's the place we went through as early as the 12th century. It's produced in the winter when the cows are kept inside, and it's ideally consumed between April and November. With August and September, that's the best month. So if you come on holidays in August in, in the area, go for Betmal. So that's, that was the cheese of the day. Uh, there's, there's a little story I want to tell uh, before I go to the cyclist of the day, and maybe Mitch can talk a, a little bit about him. But uh, the, the curious fact of the day was at kilometer 18 inside the, inside the stage today, we went through Luzernac. 
And Luznak is, is a small village. There's nothing exceptional about it. But in 2014, their, their football club won its third division league and qualified for the professional French League 2, as we say, you know, second division. But the French National League refused the team's admission to the pro division on the grounds that the village's stadium was not up to the league standards. So there were lots of trials, lots of problems, and after several trial and legal appeals, Luzernak lost their claim and then sank without trace. And since then, you know, the, the struggle of Luzernak was seen as a symbol of the struggle between small town amateur football and ruthless professional football. In a way, it's, it's a disgrace. I mean, these guys, they, they earned the right to be you know, in the mm. professional second league and the, and the professional national league. So, I don't know, your, the village is too small, your stadium is not up to standards, you stay where you are. And, uh, well, you know, uh, this says a lot about the mentality of football, where, where as we know, <laughs> cycling is much, is a much healthier. Much more democratic. Absolutely. <laughs> the last little word, uh, we, we, we came through uh, kilometer 154 in the village of Swaysh, and this small village is where Pavel Sivakov, grew up and so had he been had he been on the tour this year he would have really you know uh, ridden through his home village we went very close to it last year as well uh, where he was uh, riding and keeping an audio diary for us and i remember that day you know there was a lot of support out for him and it really is his home region and there's this there's been this discussion with Sivakov over you know whether he might eventually declare for france because he he's a, a french citizen now as well as having Russian parents and will ride for the Russian Olympic Committee at the Olympic Games in, in Tokyo. Very much a son of, of this area. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, really a thought for, uh, for him. You know, he's really, you know, ridden on this area of Saint-Gaudens and he was really at home today. And what a shame not to see him on the tour. Absolutely. Um, I, I want to say a few more uh, mentions, thank yous. I mentioned Nico and Thomas earlier. I, I actually, I, I haven't met Nico, one of my brother's dearest friends, but I have stayed in his house. Um, I should have mentioned that as well. Um, hopefully... Nico and Thomas are still listening um, after the earlier mention. I want to say thanks as well to Alistair Lloyd-Jones. Very remiss of me not to thank him up to now, but Alistair is a huge help um, for us with our social media and other aspects of running the podcast. Thank you, Alistair. And Stephanie as well. Thank you, Stephanie. Thank you to Skoda for giving us the car. And I want to say a thanks to our producers as well. Will Jones, Adam Bowie, John Mooney. Hugh Owen, Tom Wally, and on Sunday evening, because none of our producers were able to produce Sunday evening's episode, because it clashed with a, apparently with a football match that I knew nothing about, um, Faith Howley stepped in, so thank you very much indeed to Faith. Do we have any other business tonight? Do you have a song? I mean, we're in a quite busy, yeah, bustling well, I mean, little you, restaurant we, we, here, we, went, you know, uh, we know what tomorrow is, by the way, and we're all looking forward to tomorrow. Tomorrow's song. Do you, what, what is Tomorrow. Well, tomorrow what? Because we will be uh, up in Sun Island. No, what date is tomorrow? Oh, 14th of July. Yeah. yeah, of course. Yeah, well, you know, it's a classic Tommaso song, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah so, absolutely. So you, you, you'll get it. Mitch Docker on backing vocals. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can if you want. No, I, I, for the song of the day, I, I, I saw it as a message from Seb Piquet to the riders, you know? Seb Piquet, as you know, is the guy interviewing the riders. Uh, at the end of the stages, and I mean, on this tour and in, in, in you know, in the, well, recently we saw quite a little bit of you know tears and crying, and you know, and even Jeff Kenny on the Giro de Vuelta is at the you know these guys crying. So it, here is what uh, you know, Seb Piquet could tell the riders: It is time for you to stop 
all of your sobbing. Yes, it is time for you to stop all of your sobbing. Because uh-huh. there's one thing you gotta do to make me still want you. Stop your sobbing at all. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> stop, stop. Yeah. <laughs> Great stuff. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Francois. There you are. Thank you, Mitch. Thank you, guys.